Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed. Thank you for joining us today, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. And today we're going to go a little bit beyond. Now, in late 2016, we had several shows pertaining to sleep and uh, helping babies to get to sleep, not helping babies to get to sleep, and so forth. But today, we will have a slightly different take with my guest, and my guest today is Rochelle Gershkovich. Rochelle, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Rochelle, I'm astonished. I looked at your website and I realized that nowadays parents can do something that in my day we never would have been able to do, or at least not to my knowledge, but we can actually hire someone to look after our baby at night. And your company, Maternal Instincts, offers a variety of services. So as I looked at your website, I was kind of thinking, all right, before we start this show, I got to get clear here. If I were a new mother which services or which person would be best able to help me and my family? So I know that on this show, at least, we've talked a lot about labor doulas, but you also employ postpartum doulas and you have night nannies and you have certified sleep specialists. So how, how are all of these similar or different? Can you enlighten us a little bit? So when we have a new mom coming home, we want to make sure that we have the best fit for her in that postpartum period. So your night nanny, your newborn care specialist, your postpartum doula, all of them have been through training that specializes in just that postpartum period. So they will be able to come through. And some of them have done continued education and a little bit more than others. So they'll have also lactation education on top of their postpartum doula training or their newborn care specialist training. So it really depends on the family's needs and making sure that it's the right fit for that family. But the difference between these three categories is very little. They go through very similar training. The one true separation between the postpartum doula and the newborn care specialist or night nanny is that the postpartum doula really is whole family care. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. they will focus on other tasks around the house, supporting both parents, supporting household things, pets, groceries, cooking meals, just a lot of the whole family care. And yes. your newborn care specialist and your night nanny truly is there for baby care. And they're usually there in the hours that the parents aren't as actively involved. Now, in the very beginning, coming straight from the hospital, it's a lot of one-on-one with breastfeeding, especially to make sure that mom and baby are together a lot. So then you'll have the the triad together. But during the daytime, um, you're going to see the whole family involved. Grandparents come, aunts and uncles come, and a postpartum doula is trained to support all of that. 
So I'm going to assume that the postpartum doula, and I realize I'm generalizing, but in in general, the postpartum doula is going to be available more or less for the daytime, and the night nanny is going to be there at night just for the baby. Absolutely. That's the true definition between the two of them. Got it. Okay, so where does the certified sleep specialist fit in? Is she sort of like a night nanny, only more so? She doesn't come into the brand new experience coming home from the hospital. Ah. She comes in later once we've established a great breastfeeding relationship, once we have established great weight gain, ah, once we, our baby is developmentally ready for sleep development at nighttime. So there's, there's a circadian rhythm stages. They come three different stages, and the development doesn't complete until closer to 12 weeks old. So you don't even really talk to your sleep specialist until we have all of our ducks in a row, which is not just the sleep side of things. It's weight gain. It's um, the whole package, the whole thing. So it, it yeah. you don't see her till later on. Okay. So, so I assume that many or maybe most parents who seek your help have young infants who Either the babies or the parents are not sleeping much at night. Is is that, I guess, maybe my big question would be, what, what is the biggest trigger that gets parents to say, wow, we better be calling Rochelle? So I typically work with older babies. So it's usually when they have seen their baby sleep longer stretches at nighttime. And then they've taken steps back to where we're now having multiple wakes in the nighttime. So let's say we have a seven-month-old baby. And this baby previously at four or five months old organically started sleeping longer stretches at nighttime. Maybe it was down to one feet a night. Okay. And then there was, they call them a, you know, a sleep regression. I call it a growth spurt. And... This large growth spurt happens and we need more calories so your baby will start to wake up more frequently at nighttime and then this becomes now the norm and they're waking up three, four times a night when they were waking up one. Okay, I'm going to make sure that in a later segment we're going to talk more about this developmental thing and a regression and so forth. But uh, help me with just the, the sleep for a moment. We've had several guests come on and talk to us about sleep. Uh, In particular, Dr. Tracy Castles actually came on twice, and she really opposes the idea of sleep training. Do you agree, or do you have a different take? Uh, What do you tell parents about training their baby to sleep? Well, if you're speaking about behavioral training, absolutely. I think that that's inappropriate. You can't teach something like self-soothing or teach something like understanding sleep at nighttime. Instead, we should work with the developmental appropriateness for where your baby's at. And then we can set the tools into, or at least the environment and the tools into place, and then your baby can do it on its own. Sleep is a natural thing. It's an organic sure. thing. We all want to sleep. We Our babies want to sleep. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yes. And they want to sleep when they're little, but they need to have everything put into place for them. They need to have the calories that they should be consuming in a 24-hour period in their daytime if they're going to sleep through a nighttime without a feed. Otherwise, they need to have a feed at nighttime. You can't cut out food to support sleep. Right. So you can't take right. the feeds out of the nighttime if we still need them. We've got to be to the place that it's appropriate. So training, per se... No, you can't actually sit down and and 
have a learning lesson of training the baby. <laughs> that's a behavioral thing, in my opinion, and I just don't think that's appropriate. When yeah. we study the nervous system and all of the things of cognitive ability, we're looking at a much older child to truly understand something like their cortisol levels going up and mm. bringing them back down on their own. This concept of self-soothing just doesn't happen until they're much older. So we're not training them. We are understanding their body. We're looking at the cues that they're giving us. We're absorbing everything our baby's trying to speak to us, and then we're supporting them in the way that we can. You know, as a nurse, uh, years and years ago when I had my capping ceremony, which for a nurse was a big deal in those days. I know I'm showing my age. But uh, we had to have a little blip uh, read while we were doing that. And the thing that I had read was how the nurse needed to help the patient to mobilize their own resources. And that's what I hear you saying is that we don't necessarily train somebody, uh, a baby or an adult or anybody else, but rather we help them to mobilize their own resources. We respond to their needs. That's the sort of thing you're getting at. Yes, absolutely. The better you can understand what your baby is trying to speak to you, the better you'll be able to support them. So help me with this too. What about babies that have special needs? How about babies maybe that have uh, had surgery or some such thing? Do you get calls from parents for babies with special needs? Yes. And at that point in time, we are doing baby care, which is going to meet their needs. This isn't sleep training. Okay. For sleep training, there's an entire intake form that goes through when's, when's your baby had their immunizations last because we don't want a baby who's fighting something off or working through something. Has your baby been sick? Where is your weight at? When was your last doctor's appointment? We really want to make sure that we are at the best place possible to approach it so that we aren't embarking on something that this baby's not capable of. We have to respect where they're at. So if you have a baby who's not feeling well or is in a recovery of some sort, our team will come in with the care and the nurture. We're going to take care of your family and we're going to take care of your baby, but we're not pushing sleep. Right. Okay. So what sorts of things have you had experience dealing with? You know, surgery leaps to my mind, but I'm sure there must be other things. What what other kinds of things uh, have parents called you for that's kind of a special circumstance? Uh, premature babies. Oh, yeah. There's a big and, one. Yeah. Yeah. And we have to meet them where they're at. So sure. with premature babies, they have their birth age, they have their adjusted age. Um, and then they're somewhere in the middle. They're not always right on target for their adjusted age. Some of them develop in one stage a little faster than others. Some things take a little longer. Some things go a little faster. So at that point in time, we really focus on letting all of the numbers go and look directly at what the baby's trying to speak to us. And we'll, yes. we'll look at what they're, they're doing and how they're progressing and how they're growing. So those would be the circumstances where age-wise and weight-wise, we're going to see certain things happening and when going over my book, you'll see weight plays a big factor in how we adjust nighttime sleep and how okay. we support nighttime sleep. But that's not the case for a premature baby because right. they might be gaining weight and they might be on high calorie count formulas or supplements or whatever is going on, lots of different circumstances. And that's not going to be a good determining aspect of how we're going to push sleep we need to see where they're at developmentally which is a much more important tool for a premature baby 
Yeah, and I was going to say, you know, I have taken care of more preemie babies than I can remember. And a lot of them were at that, what we used to call, you know, gain and grow situation. And I always had two words uppermost in my mind. And one was capabilities and the other one was needs. Because, you know, they do have a lot of capabilities, but they have a lot of needs. And every time that you think you've got it figured out, you know, really... Not necessarily, because every kid is individual, and you've really got to look at that and try to figure out what the baby is asking for. Uh, I'm kind of big on saying they can't talk, but boy, they sure can get their message across. Uh, So, wow, that's all really interesting. Now, hey, everybody, don't go back. When Rochelle and I come back, we're going to do a deep dive into some of these nighttime issues. She's already alluded to some. We'll talk about naps and weights and sleep regression and much more. Uh, So anyway, I am here today with my guest, Rochelle Gershkovich. I'm Marie Biancuzzo. We'll be right back after this short break. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm 
here today with Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. Now, I know you just heard this on the commercial, but I'm going to repeat. If you have questions about uh the show or what the guest has said or what I've said, please drop us an email at radio at born to be breastfed.com. I'll repeat that. It's radio at born to be breastfed.com. And we will try our best to get back to you with an answer to your question. So Rochelle, before we do the deep dive into the nighttime feeding issues, let's talk a little bit about the daytime. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that parents get real hyper about the nighttime and they don't take into account the daytime. So typically, if you were giving anticipatory guidance to the parent, what, how would you help them to understand what a typical feeding pattern or a typical sleeping waking pattern might be during the day? Well, I love that you're talking about the daytime of calories because when it comes to consuming our daily intake, it comes in a 24-hour period. We need to consume X amount of calories in 24 hours and we start over tomorrow and we start over the next day and this is how our body continues to repair and grow. So um, when you're Spoken like a true dietitian. (laughs) (laughs) When you're talking about pulling food from nighttime... It has to be replaced. You can't lose the calories. So your daytime truly has to support what you're going to do at nighttime. And I don't like to do it after the fact. I like to prepare for anything. In my whole world, everything is preventative. So if I know that I'm going to pull a feed from nighttime, I stock up during that daytime. I go for extra feeds. I work on pushing as many calories as possible because I don't want a hungry baby at nighttime. Right. I want this baby to feel fully supported. So we will add in extra feeds. And if we're looking at the digestion of the food, once we have our intake, it takes about an hour to clear through the digestion. And then our metabolism will trigger two hours later. So every two hours, we're going to be ready to eat again. And so it's very normal for our little ones to say, I'm a well-oiled machine. My metabolic system is working perfectly. I want to eat every two hours. Sure. And I'm clearing things out in that way. So in the daytime, we push extra feeds to support pulling them out of nighttime. And I just want to insert here what I think you have implied, but we've got a lot of parents listening to this show. I see this a lot in the hospital where the baby is kind of conked out all day long. And then the parents wonder why the baby is awake all night long. Well, (laughs) it's because when he was conked out, he wasn't eating anything. So now he's awake because he's hungry. And it really plays into that whole idea of you got to have these X amount of calories inside of a 24-hour period. And if you slept your day away, then you are going to be awake at night. Right. So I love the, the bullet points of a daytime. I don't love schedules per se. I like totals. We need X amount of total hours of napping. X amount of total hours of activity, which is our floor time, body movement, development, and growth, and X amount of calories. So in the daytime, if you can keep your running totals, you're better off than trying to have this rigid schedule to fit your baby into. 
And if you know you're meeting all of these in the daytime, you're going to better support your nighttime. Yes. Yes. That seems to the make other, so much sense. Yeah. And the other thing is, is babies grow so fast. The developmental changes that happen from birth to one year are extravagant. It's hard to keep up with. They're changing, and we're not really used to changing as quickly as we see happen in a child. So it's harder for a parent to adjust to a baby's rapid growth. Um, so remember when you're approaching a younger baby how different it is than when you're approaching an older baby. They are moving forward when you have a birth to 12-week-old baby. And we're really focused on our fourth trimester and our, our weight gain and, and really just building this support system and structure for our baby of love. Um, they're in a 24-hour period and they haven't developmentally gotten to that point yet of understanding the difference of day and night. Those circadian rhythms are underdeveloped. And so they might sleep yes. a lot in the day. They might be awake at nighttime. But that's because they really don't know the difference between day or night. And it's your job yeah, to kind I of set up the difference. You, you can make their environment different from day versus night, but be conscious of the fact that they don't quite get it yet. Right. I wanted to interject here that when the baby is in utero, he does follow his mother's circadian rhythms. But when he is born in the extrauterine world, he really does not have that sense at all. And I've read a lot of literature on this, and it seems to me the experts don't really agree about when exactly a baby does develop those circadian rhythms, and I'm not surprised by that because I suspect that probably everybody, every baby is a little bit different. But I do want to point out, as you started to say here, if you always have the lights on and the noise on and the stimulation going, that is going to keep the baby awake, 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 and... That is a problem. Which is hard when you have to get up at 2 a.m. and you're doing a breastfeeding session and you're so tired, it's hard to not turn the lights on and be like, okay, I'm yeah. going to kind of get myself going. I'm going to go through the feed. I'm going to do the diaper change. I'm going to you know, burp and get back to a nice, comfortable place, and then we'll go back to bed. But it's better if you can do that in your sleepy state. You need to keep your eyes closed. You're teaching. Yes. And a huge part of teaching is showing by example. So keep <laughs> your body calm and relaxed and eyes closed and, you know, keep the, the room in a nice sleepy environment and your baby's going to look at all of that and absorb it and start to, to learn from that. Um, another great sign, because there is so much controversy about the circadian rhythms and their stage of development, um, is look at, look at what your body's, the baby is telling you through their body. So one sign is going to be that they quit having a bowel movement at nighttime. Their body is going uh, into a deeper rest and repair sleep. So yes. they kind of shut it down. They quit yeah. pooping at night, which lets you know, I'm moving on. I'm, I'm starting to figure this out. I get that there's a difference of day and night. They also organically start sleeping longer stretches. Right. One night they were sleeping three hours. The next night they just, they went to four. Okay, look, we're, look at the signs that are being laid out in front of me. And my baby is speaking to me. And that's really important when it comes to supporting your baby where they're at. Look at what they're telling you. Yeah, and I might say, you know, parents sometimes say, oh, but that was only an hour's difference. Well, percentage-wise, an hour is a lot. <coughs> Technically, for them, it's a whole feed different because yeah. their yeah. metabolism is triggering every two hours. So if they went an entire feed, they've already taken their first step. So, Rochelle, talk to us because you mentioned this before, but how does the baby's 
weight relate to the baby's sleep? Can you lay that out for us? How are these related? Sure. So it has a lot to do with their ability to maintain what they need to, their insulin levels for nighttime, their fat content. We need to make sure that they're getting everything that they need in the daytime, which we break it down with counting the calories, but we also need to look at their body's ability and what weight they are holding on to them that they can support so many hours without food. Um, so the weight is comes down to two things. First, it's going to be there's this natural progression in how they gain weight and how they're capable of consuming calories in the daytime. And that's how age and weight pair with each other very beautifully. But then there's the second side of it and how long they can maintain with their own blood insulin levels at nighttime. And that that's why we bring the weight into it. You mentioned earlier in the first segment, you talked about cortisol levels. Now, for parents that might not understand cortisol levels, cortisol is a stress hormone. Babies have it, adults have it, we all have it. But basically, cortisol, help me here, Rochelle, but cortisol, when, when you have that, cortisol kind of kick in, it affects uh, feeding patterns. Can you talk to us about that? Well, the cortisol levels are going to directly relate to the caregiver because we co-regulate our baby systems in a lot of ways. Absolutely. You see it very dominantly in the beginning when you see temperature. It's it's a fun one. It's like an instant gratification if you see babies kind of lower on temperature, you put them on your body and you can co-regulate that temperature. It feels really beautiful. It's an instant gratification. But the same thing happens with the cortisol levels. So when caregiver, mom, dad, babysitter, anybody holding baby has got very high cortisol levels, it's going to be very hard for a baby to process. And and it affects many of their systems, not just their ability to eat. Yes. The stress level is so high that their body doesn't know how to handle all of that stress and they're just not capable of even bringing it down. So a big part of it is I want to give my mothers and my fathers and they need the grace of understanding that stress happens Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. those cortisol levels will rise. You will have a moment in time where you are feeling stressed and maybe baby won't go for feed at that time because baby can't quite process this stress level. Um, I I encourage my parents to hold their baby through the process and start deep breathing to pull their cortisol levels down, and that will bring your babies down. Absolutely. I do not like when they lay them down. If you put them down, you will pull your cortisol levels down because you have a mastered nervous system. They will not. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's really, you see it, I see it a lot at night because Mm -hmm, I get to mm -hmm. go and I get to see a baby after they've had a full day, they've been through their whole activity of the day, they are feeling sleepy at nighttime. We've got older little ones, so you know, they've got their circadian rhythms and full develop we're really in a good place by the time yeah. I see yep. them. But I can tell immediately if this baby's got a high stressed out parent and their cortisol levels are high because the moment I pick them up 
they fall asleep in my arms. Absolutely. And the parents are, what is going on? Why do they what did eat you do? Why do they fall yeah. asleep in your arms? Yeah. And it has to do with the fact that I am calm so they can feel calm. Uh, for those of you who are listening, I just want to reiterate ro- what Rochelle has, has said, because the very same thing has happened to me, where the parent asked me what I did. Well, I didn't do anything. It's just my my own stress level was lesser than the parent. Hey, everybody, don't co- go away. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, those calories that uh, Rochelle was talking to us about and how to calculate that. We're going to talk a little bit more about age and development. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed. Rochelle, you talked about calories, you've talked about ounces of milk, or if you didn't, you implied it in a 24-hour period. Mm -hmm. Now, I was always taught that if a baby weighed less than 10 pounds, you could determine the baby's weight in pounds and then multiply that number by 2.5, and that's the approximate amount of milk that the baby needs in a 24-hour period. But you're a registered dietitian. You do this stuff big time. Do you agree with that sort of generally accepted way, at least for the kind of, you know, the hospital type babies? And is it different from an older baby? Can, can you address this, please? So 
I do like that method. I think it's okay. an easy one to use, and it's it's fairly accurate. So I do like yeah. that. But if you want to fine tune it just a little bit, which I like too for babies because we're not talking about a lot of weight. Right. Um, I take the weight and I times it by fifty five, and this is going to give you how many calories you need in a twenty four hour period. Twenty four hour period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And that's my go-to. That's how I like to find out the calories for the 24-hour period. Okay. Now, there's also basics, kind of generalized standards that you can go by as well, where you can say one ounce per hour, 500 calories in a day for babies under four months old. So you, you don't, you know, you have some options here, but this one to me is the most accurate because it takes your baby at your baby's weight and it gives you the exact calories that your baby's going to need. So it's very unique to your child. And for those of you who are wondering, mother's milk is an average of about 20 calories per ounce. Now, truth be told, some mothers will have slightly less than that, you know, 18 or 19 maybe. Uh, but they also can have much more. If you talk to the folks at the milk bank, they will tell you that sometimes human milk is as much as 28 calories per ounce and everything in between. So, Rochelle, I want to go back to this now. Is this for any age, baby, or just for the kids that are under 10 pounds? Oh, does this work this for any for- kid? No, this is for a year and under. Okay, okay, okay. So it's not just 10 pounds. So 10 pounds, um, that's not really a guideline that I follow that we work with just 10, 10 pounds and under. I go for the entire year. And year. there's large okay. growth spurts that we take into consideration. So during Absolutely. a growth spurt throughout the year, we make sure that we adjust those calories for that growth spurt. <clears throat> from the growth spurts that happen from birth until six months old, I call them temporary growth spurts, but what I mean by that is they'll increase the calories for the five to seven days during the growth spurt, and then they'll resume back down to more of a standard that they were at before. Whereas when they get over to six months old and beyond, they increase and they maintain. They increase and they maintain. So they keep going up. And, yes. Yes. and we move forward with our calories. So in the beginning, four to six months old, you're going to see that they they eat a little bit more for a couple of days, and you won't notice the growth spurt till you're halfway through it anyways. And you're like, oh, yes. here we go. We're, we're eating more, we're sleeping more, and then they come back down, and they I go tell back parents, I tell parents that it's like having uh, an all-night smorgasbord. Uh, and also, I just wanted to mention here about uh, the growth spurts. Somebody kind of uh, came after me here a little bit ago and said, well, where's your evidence that there's such a thing as as a growth spurt? Growth spurt is not an evidence-based term. I said, well, you can call it whatever you want to. I don't care what you call it. But babies absolutely have these periods of increased need or increased caloric need or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I'm hearing you say the same thing. So when can parents expect these so-called growth spurts? So they can expect... the the larger ones that are going to happen to make sure that we're, and see, I use the term growth spurts as well because I feel like this is an easy way to describe a a practicing act that they're doing. It's a tool that they're working on. So they are going through this increased caloric need and they're practicing it from birth until four months old. Absolutely. And they're going to have them in the first month, multiple growth spurts. That's how you have the increase of consuming calories. It starts off at 10 to 15 milliliters, we're jumping up to 25 milliliters, 30 milliliters, we're getting all the way up to a month old and we're taking 60 to 90 milliliters, we're increasing very quickly. 
Yes. Um, yes. I call these growth spurts. <laughs> and, well, I do and, too. I don't know what I else to call them. <laughs> um, and so, and, and that, we practice that again around eight weeks old, again at 12 weeks old, again at four months old. Um, those are the practicing ones. And then we start increasing. And those large growth spurts that happen are definitely the six months old and nine months old. And then we have another really large one at a year old. And you'll see these. You'll see not only increased calories, but you see increased need for sleep. You see afterwards developmental growth on a significant level where they start mastering some more of those fine motor skills and they start to become more active. They become very defined when they get older. They're a little harder to notice when they're small because they're happening so frequently. Sure. Uh, for what it's worth, I agree with totally everything that Rochelle just said. And parents understand that when she says four months, that doesn't necessarily mean the exact day that your exact baby turns exactly four months. But somewhere right around in there, and, and that's true for each one of these, you know, they're approximate, but they absolutely happen with all kids at more or less that time. Rochelle, I want to talk more about development because you've alluded to that a few times. Now, we all know that babies uh, do develop. They they get progressively better eyesight. They're more able to control their head and their neck muscles and so forth. So what about sleep? Do infants undergo some kind of development in their ability to sleep? We talked about circadian rhythms, but is it more than that? So they're going to have their circadian rhythms, and then their second development is going to be balancing their own hormone of melatonin. They're going to oh, get yeah. it through breast milk, yeah. okay? And, yeah. and we're going to get it from mom, but there's going to be a development of them mastering it themselves and balancing it themselves. So um, there's a lot of research out there supporting that closer to 18 months old is when they have been able to switch over and kind of yeah. balance that own melatonin hormone. So that's another development of sleep that supports babies with their nighttime sleep and daytime sleep. But something that's just part of their environment is that nonverbal communication you're going to be doing with your baby all the time. And that's setting up the nighttime sleep with all of these triggers and all of these communication styles that tell them that this supports nighttime sleep. And that's a developmental thing too, in my opinion, because cognitively they understand more and more as they're getting older. And when you have a a six and an eight month old who wakes up in the night and they call out from for parent to come, it's important that the body language spoken by the parent promotes nighttime sleep. You're communicating with them and they're watching this. And this to me is a better understanding of, okay, I get what you're telling me. I might not be verbally communicating back to you, but my body and your body, we're going to speak to each other. So you come in with your eyes closed. Eyes are the number one form of communication with babies, the eye contact. This is how we talk. So if you're sleeping, your eyes are closed. You've got to keep your body relaxed, your eyes closed, gentle touches, very calm, soothing motions, and they're going to watch everything you're doing and learn from this. So development of sleep, circadian rhythms, melatonin, and then communication, in my opinion. Uh, I think you're spot on. The other thing that we've talked about on the show, but I want you to talk about it as well, I think that parents have a very unrealistic idea of how soon their babies are going to, quote, sleep through the night. Okay. So, So first of all, 
when I think about sleeping through the night, I as an adult, you know, I'm thinking from nine o'clock at night until five o'clock in the morning, but I'm an adult. That is mm-hmm. not realistic for babies. Uh, talk to us about what you've experienced with parents' expectations about sleeping through the night and then the realities. Okay. So you've mentioned a couple of times of kind of don't expect four months specifically or these ages specifically. What we need to do is we need to look at what research really means. We're gathering all of this information, we're bringing it in, and we are going to give a general idea of where this happens or this happens. And and then we have some more extensive research that will back that up. But with babies, we're, we're taking in a lot of information and then we're compartmentalizing everything into an age group or a weight or a you know milestone that they've reached developmentally. So we have generalizations of when this stuff happens or yes, you know yes. when they're going to hit the growth spurts, when they're going to do this, when they're going to sit, when they're going to roll, when they're going to stand. All of these things are just ballparks. Right. Um, and so it's going to matter with sleep for parents to really focus on what your baby is trying to speak to you. They are going to tell you when they're ready because they are going to take the first step and then you're going to follow. Now, I hear a lot, especially in my world, in the sleep world, I hear some hard numbers that are very hard for me to support. Things like 12 pounds, 12 hours, 12 weeks. Oh, Um, no. And this one's just, (laughs) it hurts me in my soul. It's just hard for me to maintain and support. I obviously don't support it. So I think that when you put these hard numbers in your mind, you're setting yourself and your baby up for failure. It's too hard to meet these kind of expectations. Absolutely. That aren't strongly supported. Um, so from birth to 12 weeks, and I'm, I'm giving generalizations from birth to 12 weeks, I called a fourth trimester. Do not focus on sleep, focus on a relationship and weight gain. Nice. You are like cultivating it. great growth for your baby. So don't even think about implementing anything sleep related. You're, you're just going to be fighting against an uphill battle. Not worth it. Um, from 12 weeks until six months old, you can set up a nice structure for sleep. And if your baby does it, wonderful. If your baby still needs nighttime feeds at various times throughout the nighttime, just realize that you're setting the structure up. You're going to set up a bedtime. You're going to have a dark, nice, promoting sleep room environment, your nursery, your bedroom, wherever you're sleeping at nighttime. You're going to promote sleep the best you can. You're going to communicate sleep during this time period. And then you're going to end sleep. It's important that we start our day at a certain time. That's a very hard thing for you to do when you're tired. And let's say you had a nursing session at 3 a.m., at 5 a.m., at 7 a.m., and you're still in bed, it's 9 a.m., and it's just really hard to get out of bed. Well, we have to stop the process, too, of nighttime sleep. You've got to start stimulation and conversation, and you need to make the eye contact now. There needs to be a start and a stop when it's building that structure because they need to understand now that sleep has, there's a time for sleep and then there's a time for play. And that's all through your nonverbal communication. So I like the end of a night, which is morning. That's the 12 weeks until six months, setting that kind of structure up, no matter how many feeds you have in between the nighttime. And then at six months old, I like to take the next step into really supporting nighttime, elongated nighttime sleep. So you'll have your start of your night. You'll have your baby 
let's say, I'm going to give an example of the first wake of the nighttime is midnight. So, and the bedtime was 8 p.m. So we went to bed at 8 p.m. and midnight is the first wake, so we've gone four hours. Rochelle, you were just talking to us then, uh, saying that the focus for the first 12 weeks is really growth and relationships, as I understood it. Then you said from 12 weeks until six months, the focus is setting up the structure. So then what's the focus for the six months? And can you give us an example? Sure. So anytime your baby is moving past the six-month period, they're going to work on some very large developmental milestones. Their body development is going to be a little different. They're trying to master some motor skills. Cognitively, they're so much more aware of their environment and interactions between people. Um, And then, of course, you have caloric needs increase. So you have all of these things that are just flying by, moving forward, and the way that that's going to affect the nighttime is going to be the fact that they are just so much more aware. Anything up to six months old is going to be parents can set up this healthy, sleepy associations. You want to make sure that nighttime looks good for them, that they have a nice sleep space, that there's dark room set up for them, that they're getting enough calories in the daytime, just very basic need-based system. Um, And you set that up in a nice, appropriate way, and they'll do really well with it. Past six months old, we're looking a little bit more deep into these associations. It's not just having a dark room and a nice space to sleep. It's going to be, what are you telling them? How are you talking to them? When they wake up, for example, if they've gone to bed at 8 p.m. and they've woken up at midnight, but you know that they're not hungry, they've had great calories during the daytime, When they wake up then, they're looking for something different. It's not just food anymore. Mm, They're making sure you're still there, and they're checking in on you, and they want to make (laughs) sure that you're checking in on them. And um, let's say they really like suction for soothing, so they're looking for a pacifier. Well, they haven't quite mastered that motor skill of grabbing it and putting it into their mouth, so now they're calling out to you as their helper to come give it to them. So you have to work around these little bumps in the road that are going to come up where it's this cognitive ability where they're understanding what's going on and they're still looking for you as their number one support and then their physical capabilities. Can they physically roll around and grab all of these things and find comfort and sleep in different sleep positions and grab their own blankies or pick up their own pacifier? Probably not at six months old. So it sounds like at six months, it's because of the baby's awareness, but he also has these limitations. So he's kind of looking for the parent to fill in the blanks here. Am I getting it? Yes. So if you work on that before six months old, it's going to be a little bit easier. Weight dependent. Your baby has to be able to be capable of these nighttime stretches and elongating that sleep without calories. Okay, we're on it. No. So when we come back, uh, can we talk about just some real nitty-gritty tips for anybody to help their baby to get to sleep. Yes. Terrific. Okay. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here to bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding. I'm here with Rochelle Gertukovic. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash gooddonor. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with uh, Rochelle Gershkovich. And Rochelle was talking to us about sort of these different phases of how you help the baby to get to sleep. So, Rochelle, honestly, I know that there are people out there who they know they're going to bed tonight. They don't know if their baby is going to sleep tonight because sometimes, quite honestly, it just isn't always a good scene. Can you give us just some real simple tips for assuming we have a healthy mother, a healthy baby, and all is well, how can we help that baby to go to sleep? Sure. I'm going to break it down in age again. Okay. Um, and then I'm going to put some tips in here on weight. Love so it. the first thing with a little bitty baby is just going to be to make sure that your room is dark and that okay. they've been fed. This is, okay. it's so basic. Okay. When they get a little bit older, as in six months old plus, the calorie consumption in the daytime is going to be a little trickier because they need so many more calories with less okay. hours to receive them. Mm-hmm. So right. as far as food goes, go for high protein, high fat. Every time you're thinking of a solid food and you're introducing solids, think protein and fat. And that's going to help 
those tiny little increments to add up over the daytime and get the calories you need. And then at that age, the next appropriate thing is going to be to make sure that your nighttime routine is very consistent Mm. Mm -hmm. and you are talking. I know that Mm. your six-month-old is not going to have a full conversation with you, but they do understand you. So talk to them. Tell them that they're going to the room. Tell them that they're going to bed. Play out every single step of what the night looks like so they are getting a rundown of how things are happening. They really do appreciate that. Nobody ever told me that. Yeah, it matters very much so when they're eight months old. And now they will start to communicate back with you a little bit. They'll look at you. They'll smile. They might shake their head no when you tell them (laughs) they're going to bed. Uh So carrying a full conversation is going to be really important then. But there's this cusp between six months old and eight months old, this, this little window when if you're still having nighttime wakes and you're going in for a soothing session, push off the feed as long as you can. That means if they're waking up at 1 a.m. and you feed them, you should expect to feed every two hours after that because you have now triggered the metabolism. So my biggest tip to you is to hold off on the feed as long as you can so that you don't have the digestive system fighting against the the sleep at this point in time. You're going to have those two working against each other because their sleep cycles are going to want to continue going through this deeper sleep. And then their digestive system is going to be actively working through the digestion of that food. So try to hold off that feed. I'm just going to interject here that all human beings are very cyclical. And that's really what you're saying. When you, when you start messing with that cycle, good or bad, it, there's, there's going to be an impact with something else. Okay, good. What else? Okay. And then once you've moved to a little bit older of a child, and now we're getting to the eight-month-old plus, they are running into some separation anxiety. Mm, they right. absolutely are worried about your placement and where you're at. So sometimes... My best tip for an eight-month sleep support is a reset. That means you're going to spend two or three nights in the room with your baby, letting them know that you're there all night long, that you're not going anywhere, that you are physically in their presence and they can depend on you. And after you've done this for two or three nights, you can start pulling yourself out of the room and using your words to solidify their understanding that you're still there. I'm still here, I'm going to sleep in mommy's room, or I'm still here, daddy's going to be here, just letting them know where you guys are at and where your room is. Um, But a lot of times when you have a quote-unquote regression, which I don't really think that there is a regression, it truly is just a developmental change in their life, and they need to be reminded that things are still okay. Everything's still going to be fine. So a reset at that point in time where you spend some extra time with them and you spend some time in their room is going to be key, not bringing the feeds back into the nighttime because now you're working with a completely different set of uh, setbacks per se because now the digestive system is roaring in the nighttime and those calories have now been consumed in the nighttime and need to be replaced in the daytime. So try really hard from six months to eight months, weight dependent, meaning your baby's 15 pounds or more. Okay that you're supporting their nighttime wakes with communication and hands-on support. Touch means a lot versus food. So it's really food, touch, and verbal communication. And it goes in exactly that order. You're going to start with it when they're younger, it's food. When they get a little bit older, it's food and touch. And then once they get past eight months old, it's really dependent on communication. Okay. Uh, 
I'm thinking some of this makes a lot of sense, but I'm not, it all makes a lot of sense. I'm just not sure that all people do it. Uh, That's where I'm, I'm interested. Uh, Rochelle, I know that you have written a book. I know that uh, it's Creating Sweet Dreams. Tell us a little bit about, uh, well, first of all, just give us an idea. Why did you write this book? So the reason I brought myself to writing, because I can't tell you that was my favorite thing to do. I like holding babies. (laughs) Don't we all? (laughs) I know, right? Was because I really didn't like the background of behaviorally training infants. I felt like we should be working on developmental appropriateness. Where are they at cognitively? Where are they at developmentally? Let's work on these systems that are functioning well versus this underdeveloped system of the nervous system. I mean, we don't we don't need to be pushing behavioral training such as teaching them to sleep through the nighttime or self-soothing at nighttime. They don't they don't understand all that. All they know is if you are meeting all of their needs, then their body will organically want to sleep. We just need to focus on what needs they're actually wanting and needing during the daytime. How how many hours of sleep do they need? How much time do they need on the floor to work out those developmental milestones and master those skills? How many calories do they need? If we can just focus on where they are currently at, we're better able to support them. So the book will give you the background of the development in the first year so that can be your focus instead of trying to teach them something through behavioral training, such as I'll leave you here and you'll eventually figure it out, mm, like a try it uh-huh. out method. Right, or right. I'll leave you here half awake, half asleep, and you'll eventually figure out how to fall asleep on your own. You're expecting them to do a whole lot more than they're quite capable of yet. Hmm. And, it's, and it's a tough thing for both of you. Don't get me wrong. Parents are not having an easy time doing this either. Sure, sure. But that's because they haven't been given the tools of what is appropriate for what age group and why. So you can approach it in a much more open mind state and you're able to come to the table with better skills and better tools in your belt. Excellent. Yeah, if you knew how much your baby was supposed to eat at six months old versus four months old, it would be easier to do that. And if you know how much sleep they're supposed to have, then you can just approach it with that mindset. And that's what the book is. The book is not supposed to be read cover to cover. It's supposed to be a tool that you go to for which stage you're at. So if you get the book and you have a six-month-old, jump to that section. Makes a lot of sense. Where your baby's at. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, I would just like to say for all of you who are listening, this is uh, the name of the book is Creating Sweet Dreams. It is by Rochelle Gershkovich, and I will be featuring that on my own website. My website is borntobebreastfed.com. You can get it there. And I would say if you have any reservations even about how you are going to help your baby to sleep. This would be an excellent resource. And I think that Rochelle also has told us what many others have told us on this show. Having them cry it out is absolutely not the answer. I'd like to thank Rochelle Gershkovich for being our guest today. Rochelle, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I will see you next week, same time, same channel, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding. You know as well as I do that your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time. 
6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.